And even when I say give myself permission to make a scene, I feel the little flutters in my heart, you yeah. know? And I don't think that nervousness is I feel it's that okay. Too. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. We can act in spite of the fear. You know, totally. we can act in spite of the nervousness and it's a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And we practice in the little ways. And before you know it, I went from crying in the bathroom at Krav Maga, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and before you know it, you're standing in front of the room, you know, it's been 14 years later, I am a completely different person. I don't even know this person who was walking around in fear and constant anxiety. What would our lives look like if we lived with more power, liberation, and purpose? How might our lives be different if more of us felt genuinely worthy and confident? Welcome to the She's Heard podcast, where we investigate what it means to own our voice and create the kind of change we want for ourselves and our communities. I'm your host, Emily Jennings, and you found the place where extraordinary everyday people from different professions and walks of life share with you the empath, change maker, truth teller, disruptor, creator and lover of humanity and life, about how to honor our voice and live with more power, creativity, and joy. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I'm thrilled and honored to share the conversation I had with Emily Webb. Emily is a dancer. She does tango and is one of the founders and teachers of Mission Fusion Dance in San Francisco. She is also a Krav Maga instructor. And in case you don't know, Krav Maga is an Israeli martial art and self-defense system. It was originally created to quickly form an army of all types and sizes of people with various skill levels and athletic abilities. It's a bare bones, no nonsense, self-defense system made for the streets. I met Emily at a women's self-defense seminar and was struck by the physical power she could generate with her tall, thin, lanky dancer body. I was also deeply moved by the process she took our group of women through over the course of the weekend. It was an empowering experience and one that I wish for every female bodied human. In this episode, we learn about what it's taken for Emily to heal from abuse and find her voice. We learn how Emily was able to transform her experience from walking around in a perpetual state of fear to embodying and asserting her power. She helps us understand how taking 100% responsibility for our lives is a path to freedom and how asserting boundaries are an expression of love and respect. You can learn more about Emily's upcoming women and teen self-defense programs at kravmaga-sf.com. So right now, I invite you to relax, listen, and drop into this conversation. Yes, I teach at Krav Maga San Francisco, and I... I love doing the women's workshops. That is one of the things that is most fulfilling for me in my life. Super excited to be doing a teen workshop coming up because empowering women, especially, but people, you know, that have been disempowered, being a part of that process to bring them to the other side into their own personal power is, I think, one of the reasons I'm here, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a passion of mine and I had to go through a whole life of other things in right. order to find that, right? right? It's also really cool that you're offering it to teens because for so many people, that's when, especially for girls, that's when your self-esteem just gets mutilated. Yes. Right? So it's, it's pretty amazing that you're making it accessible yes. at such a vulnerable stage in life. Yeah. Absolutely. And I totally wish somebody had done this for me because yeah. I wouldn't have had some of the problems that I had had I had this training as a younger person. Uh, I didn't start Krav Maga until I was 30. And uh, when I got there, I was, a com I was a mess. And I had been attacked. I was attacked as um, a teenager. I had childhood issues that I had blocked out completely and um, that came back to me in my late 20s. And I was a mess, <laughs> really. Like, I didn't want to be on this planet. I am blessed that I've never dealt with depression issues or suicidal tendencies. However, I often ask, I was like, why do I have to be here? Like, why me? I don't, this is a, this whole thing is just a real pain in the ass, you know, mm -hmm. and hard. Like, mm -hmm. even though I was leading a great life, I was very free, you know, in a lot of ways. But there was always this backdrop of a very dark, um, heavy heavy energy behind me 
And so part of that came back to me when I was 27. I started having mostly body sensations of abuse. It, it kind of came on like a full-on like tidal wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had watched a a movie that triggered it and it was about abuse in women and it was a tidal wave and I felt like a knife was stabbing in me in my heart and from there it just cascaded into a very mysterious world where I felt very crazy because I was like what is all of this the man I was with at the time who I was very much in love with was a superstar in many ways he was also one of my greatest teachers very controlling and domineering and other things but also stood by me because suddenly like I was in this intimate relationship and I'm having convulsions and I'm, I'm, my breathing stopping literally to the point where I'm, I'm going to pass out. Um, when we, I didn't want to be touched. I didn't want to be kissed. I didn't like nothing. And I was having nightmares. I mean, he would tell me he was, he was awake watching me, you know, in my sleep, you know, kind of thing. It was really challenging time, uh, for both of us. That relationship ended at some point as I started to heal uh, more. And I remember I lived myself in Guatemala. Uh, we met in Guatemala, actually. And we, we started a nonprofit there, which I still run today. But I would be in Guatemala by myself. And my the, the workers would leave the house. And uh, I would lock myself inside. I literally, after 4 p.m., th- Everyone else was gone. I would lock myself inside with, like, my mace and uh, you know, like, my keys that's how like afraid afraid yeah I was walking around in constant fear mm-hmm. of of being attacked wow. like constantly there was no relief in fact I I had like stopped doing yoga and things like that because I couldn't I couldn't shut my eyes like as soon as I shut my eyes everything would just overwhelm me again wow um and so that kind how of how did you get out of that <laughs> <laughs> I thank god I had already been uh somewhat on a spiritual path. I actually went to this town in Guatemala to go to a yoga and meditation center, which is where I met the man that we were speaking of. And it was a battle, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a hard battle. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed to have found an organization that had like lots of self-development programs. It was business and it was spiritual growth and personal growth. And it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pre Krav Maga. Mm-hmm. And then I had some really huge shifts in those moments mm-hmm. uh, at doing that work. And they had given me uh, like a, back in the, like a thumb drive back mm-hmm. in that, those days mm-hmm. of, of uh, material interviews, just like this one. Mm-hmm. And I listened to something every day, mm-hmm. constantly. I was constantly listening to information that I didn't have before mm-hmm. and listening to people hearing stories of people getting over their past, hearing success stories, hearing empowerment stories, learnings, reading books. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're rewiring I, I what rewired. you believe and how you think and how you see yourself yes. and how you see other people in the world and all of it. Yes. And wow. for me, it wasn't something I could go and do like once a month or, you know, at a workshop here and there. It was a constant. You were like immersed. In immersed. It. And I still to this day am... I never, I hardly ever listen to music in my car, which is funny because I'm a dancer and I DJ and I'll do all those other things. I listen to books 24 seven just to keep continue rewiring my brain because it's a constant evolutional process, right? Right. And so then where'd you grow up? In Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Tell us about what it was like growing up. You know, my parents raised me to be very independent, very strong. And it's funny that was a, that paradox my father was really, really, um, had a hot temper, very loud, uh, and really shut me down in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yet he was raising me to be this independent, strong woman. But what I got was somebody who couldn't set boundaries, who couldn't speak up, especially around male authority figures, mm-hmm. and felt in a lot of ways that my comfort and my well-being were were always second to to everyone else's this is a common story mm-hmm. uh and my my family in my family unit my parents were divorced there was a lot of arguing and there was a lot of yelling and it just shut shut everything down uh for me so i think that's pretty common the paradox of you know, key people in our life or experiences that in some ways really empower us and strengthen us. And then also in other ways are, um, oppressive and domineering. And so it can be really tricky to pull all of that apart. It's like this, like 
tangled ball of hair or something, you know, you're like, how do you find truth in someone that is loving, but also abusive, you know, like, so I'm working on that one. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really, I love Brene Brown as one of a great author and mm-hmm. she taught me the concept of people are doing the best they can. Totally. Yeah. And I look my father's a very powerful, I mean, spiritually very powerful, energetically hugely powerful man that didn't really have a place to direct that. He didn't grow up in a time that that was acceptable or that there was a place for that for mm-hmm. him. And he's, you know, doing the best he can. And he has, he's got, had a lot of issues. I have not spoken to my father very much um, in the last, since I was 27 years old. So that's, you know, now 17 years. Wow. And I've kind of been okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like yeah. it's been okay with me. Yeah. It doesn't cause me a lot of pain that I don't have that relationship with him. But I am very aware, acutely aware that that may be my next step mm-hmm. to just stand. I didn't want to ever be in contact with him until I could stand in front of him and be in my full power. Yeah. Because it was so easy to revert back to being diminished and unable to speak up. And literally, a lot of fear. Like, I don't want that man touching me. You know, I don't... And that may change, you know, but it was... If if I had no control as a child, and then I go, re, go and return as an adult, and I still feel out of control, that if he wants to hug me, like I have to do that or these little things. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I cannot put myself in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important on our growth journey to remove ourselves from, from certain situations. Yeah. And it's not without denial of what's going on, right? Denial and running, running and hiding is one thing, but consciously saying I'm going to step back from this relationship because it's not healthy and I don't know how to be my fullest self, my healthy self, my empowered self in that relationship is important. We have to learn and practice. Yeah. So I've been practicing for 17 years, <laughs> my whole life mm-hmm. in order to go back and, and, and stand in front of my father, uh, which seems it's sadly seems like shouldn't be a big deal, but it's, it can be everything. Yeah. Right. It's uh yeah, totally. Hey. Glennon Doyle. Do you know her, Glennon Doyle? Mm-mm, no, she's I awesome. She wrote a great book called Love Warrior, but she talks about how you can't heal in the same environment that harmed you. Like oftentimes, you have to get out of the environment right. in order to to figure out your head from your ass, <laughs> you know, like or you know to figure out top up from down and. Um, but that your family oftentimes is the final frontier that you, you leave and you go and you find Mm. these resources and you gain new perspectives and, um, a stronger and deeper sense of wholeness and self. And then like the final frontier is then going to the people that have been the most challenging and your biggest teachers. And then there's also that, um, I know we were talked about this before that, that idea that boundaries are the distance at which I can love mm-hmm. myself and love you. And that that changes as we change and that changes as people evolve. And this ability to yeah. s- set boundaries is huge. So huge. It's been a huge lesson for me to be able to know that when I don't set a boundary with somebody that I'm actually hurting them that because I will have to put up a wall. I'm still wrapping myself around that. Like, I've heard you say that at different points, too. And it's something I'm still sitting with of, like, a boundary is some is a way that you actually are loving them. Yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if, if I set a boundary and you respect it, I can open my heart back up. Yeah. I can open back up energetically. But if... If you've upset me or I need to, I, and I don't set a boundary with you, mm-hmm. then suddenly I'm just going to be cold and shut down towards you. Yeah. And, and that wall thickens. And that wall thickens. And that's appropriate and then you, if you don't respect the yeah. boundary. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if you are, if you're just wa- left wondering, if the mm-hmm. other is just left wondering, like, why is Emily, you know, like that? Why is she so cold suddenly? Like, I feel cut off. I feel rejected without any knowing of what was happening, mm-hmm. then you're hurting that. That person is, is, is hurting mm-hmm. because of your lack of ability to set a boundary. Whereas if you just say, hey, this is what I need, A, B, C, 
and then the person says, oh, okay, no, you know, no problem. And it's like, <sighs> yeah. we can come back and be authentic with each other again. And then the boundary can change. It's also great from a self-defense perspective and just an everyday living um, psychological defense pr- perspective that if I set the boundary A and you cross that boundary, now I know. It's very, very clear that the, the, there was a disrespect done or a violation done. And I can then act accordingly to, to put myself in a better place. But if you don't know that that boundary is there and you're constantly inching over it, uh, eventually there will either be like a blow up or two people will part ways. And that can be a sad parting. If the boundary had just been set, it could have been all good. You yeah, know? you could, could have, have found a way to communicate around that. Yeah, yeah. and you could have actually built uh, a closer bond. Could have, you could have come closer rather than further away. That's so tricky, yeah. especially when there's power dynamics, for example, like in a work situation or, you know, with a boss or with someone who has more structural power than someone below them, you know, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> What's well, coming up for me yeah. right now so strongly, I can feel like my whole heart and core warm, warming up actually mm-hmm. is that that comes back to like my own self-love, right? If it's a boss or an authority figure and it's not good for me to be in that environment and I need to set a boundary that I feel like I can't set with that person for whatever reason, to me, that's it's black and white. You either set the boundary and they respect it or you take yourself out of the situation. And that's self-love. This idea of putting somebody else's comfort before one's own like is is bullshit. They deserve, they deserve comfort too. Mm -hmm. And we do too. And, Mm -hmm. and, and those both truths can happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's not an all or nothing game. Mm -hmm. And for myself, I have to watch it, you know, still I watch it, you know, like, yes, sometimes I accommodate other people and I do that as a conscious choice. When it becomes unconscious, people pleasing, or just they're more important than I am. I am hurting myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Especially right now with with Time's Up and Me Too and so much conversation that I think is unprecedented in terms of women speaking up and being more transparent around consent. Mm-hmm. It's tricky because there is... you that you have to put food on the table and you need to pay your rent. And then if you feel like you don't have options and you have to put up with abuse from someone who has more structural power than you in order to like put food on the table, like it just, it's, it's a lot to pull apart. And there are still like the more you love yourself, also new opportunities present themselves right um or a new path or a new choice that you didn't see before presents itself it takes work (laughs) and it takes courage and it takes a willingness to step into the to the unknown Mm -hmm. like into holy shit i don't know what's going to happen but i need to go Mm -hmm. i love this idea of taking 100 percent responsibility for your life I got this from Gay and Katie Hendricks, who have done a lot of relationship books, and they're they're a great resource. And the idea is that you take a hundred percent responsibility for your your life, your part. So if we had an argument, you have a hundred percent, and I have a hundred percent responsibility. If we try to divide it, you know, sixty thirty, or, or sorry, seventy thirty, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. If we divide it, there's there's always that confusion, mm-hmm. right? And that means that there's always a victim and there's always a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And this becomes a power struggle with your boss and with you know the person who's higher up. It's like if everybody takes a hundred percent responsibility for a situation, then there is no victim and there is no perpetrator. And this is something I've been living with for now, probably seven or eight years, like really working this concept and it has brought me to a new level. No, I cannot take responsibility necessarily that, uh, I was had childhood abuse things going on. The person who's born in Guatemala in poverty, the person of color born in the racist South, like those are places we're born into. And the societies that we have around us are shaping us. That's 
not my responsibility personally, and it's not your responsibility. It's not the person's responsibility. What we do with that situation, where we go from there, that becomes our 100% responsibility. As I move through my life and I hear the situation about the higher up and me not being able to set a boundary because I'm for fear of putting food on the table. This is a a real situation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's global. And it's global. Yeah. And uh, especially for single mothers um, struggling to raise children and set a better way for their, for their kids. Whatever it is, it's real. And this is a really scary place to take 100% responsibility. And what you do from that place, for example, the, the job. I need this job to make money. Uh, I need to set a boundary. There's somebody there who's um, making me feel less than powerful. What do I do? And it's really easy to fall into a victim, a victimhood of society, of that you're the one stuck there, mm-hmm. you know, especially for people who have been d- diminished. Um, the boss is the perpetrator. I'm stuck in this, you know, job, all these angst. It's so easy to run that loop because then you don't have to take, it's not your fault. You have to do anything different. You know, it's not your fault and you get to complain Mm -hmm. a lot, (laughs) you know, to anybody who will listen for myself. But it also doesn't change the fact that it, there is, that it's not right and that it's unfair and that there's an abuse of power. It doesn't change that there's harm being done. Done. No, and that there's not. an impact of that in your body and in your psyche. What's so hard is to choose a different thought or to take a different action to interrupt yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I am not saying the boss isn't like doesn't that need to do that. It's not fucked up. That there's yeah. shit going I'm down. Not, I'm not yeah. saying that at all. Yeah, I'm saying how do we react to that? What do we What do we do? And um, as hard it is as it is to think, I'm a hundred percent responsible for this situation. You know. Um, in my world, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing to stay there. And that, that, that what we're talking about before, the trust and the courage to do something different, to open a different door is really scary, especially if one does have children or supporting another in some way. Um, or to ask for help. To or ask for help, whatever it is. Like to me, all possibilities are, are, exist now. I can continue down the route of that possibility of this job sucks and this person's abusing me. I can't speak up because of X, Y, and Z. That's a really real scenario. For a, the majority of the world. It's not the only scenario. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And I personally believe from a spiritual perspective that we, we have a choice, that the universe is an abundant place. It doesn't always look like that. If we make the choice the choice for freedom from that, we can find another, another path. It doesn't, I'm not saying it's easy, yeah. <laughs> but that other path is there. And that to me, when you talk about finding your voice, sometimes the voice is saying to the boss, this is not okay with me. And the other part of the voice is goodbye. Yeah. You know, like what you're doing is not right. And sometimes we, ch- we can choose the fight, you know, to change something. And sometimes we choose th- another path. And, uh, that to me is standing up for yourself and looking at like, we're not going to change the minds of, of everybody, right? If somebody is a sexist, racist, or, or even, um, you know, less benign things, just controlling if they're, if they're the ego, whatever, it's like, yeah, some people can change. Other people are not. Mm -hmm. And when we move past the anger and choose a different path for ourselves. It's more loving to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then we're bringing more love to the world. I know that's, you know, f- many people talk about it and I'm sure the people who are out there, the fighters are like, you know, fuck those people. They yeah. need to like get up. They need to get up and fight. Yeah. But if you're fighting from a place of anger and hatred, in my mind, you're part of the problem. So for myself, part of my finding my voice has been making those choices for myself, leaving certain relationships behind. The little things that are changing, like it doesn't always have to be the big fight, you know. Um, I take responsibility for myself, and and like somebody actually had to work, somebody who told me how I felt about something, and this is a big one for me. An ex used to tell me how I felt, you know, like you feel this way. I'm like, no, I don't, you know, and it drove me crazy. Somebody did that to me last year, and I just stuff. I was like, don't tell me how I feel. Yeah. It just like flew out of my mouth. Which is funny because I, I used to, I would have not done that some time ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
Do not tell me how I feel. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm feeling right now. And it was kind of a silly situation, but that person has a pretty big ego, you know, and he's got a lot of knowledge and a lot to offer. And I'm like, dude, you have a lot to offer, Mm -hmm. but it ain't about my feelings. Yeah. You know, these are, and to be able to verbalize that is awesome. Everybody in the room, (laughs) everybody in the room kind of went, woo, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then afterwards I was like, that was pretty abrupt, but I don't regret saying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that wasn't the time, the place, but I don't regret saying it. Don't fucking tell me how I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what's so awesome? I think about being alive right now in this moment is that people like you got to be honest about whatever's there and about whatever's been happening. Like it seems like being honest and transparent about specifically around like the Me Too movement mm. of like this has happened and it's collectively happening and there is a lot of victimhood mentality and ways of being and it seems like it's an important stage of the process to just be real about what's been happening and it's also hopeful because I think that there's more information and resources than ever before that wasn't available to my mother or grandmother around okay this is the impact of what this abuse has Mm -hmm. had on my psyche and body and ability to just fully be myself and to see that collectively across so many different women. So it's like, okay, verbalizing that and then, okay, let's move to the next phase of like, Mm -hmm. where can I take responsibility for my life and Mm -hmm. where can, like, that's what I also really loved about your workshop is like, I, the idea that I'm worthy of protection. Holy shit. And to own that within myself, like it's, obviously something I'm still working on and like everyone's still working, not everyone, but a lot of people are still working on, but to see this arc of healing, this arc of, um, of just being honest about where we're at around owning our voice and our lives and our worth. And I'm really excited about then what are we going to create? You know, like there, there's a lot of work to do between like where we're at owning our voice and then what do, what do we want to create but could you speak to helping people get to the point of I am worthy of protection and finding that within themselves that's huge yeah I mean because to, to so um, I spent some time in Russia and in that I got involved with an, a couple different organizations around like women's advocacy and And it was life-changing because it was, like, the first time I had spoken openly and publicly about things that just deeply broke my heart. And then when I saw that, oh, my gosh, this isn't just my personal pain. This is, like, a collective wound that impacts one billion women globally. And it's it's throughout history. We are carrying genetically the pain of... Right. And so it's like, okay, so this is real. This yes. is very real trauma and this is very real pain and it is huge and it is collective and how do we rise out of victimhood around it? So when I had that experience of connecting with women from all over the world around this and then fast forward, I'm taking your like class and you're like, I'm worthy of protection. You know, like that's a huge thing. Like how do we do that collectively? So what have you noticed and what do you see in the workshops that you've created? Because your workshop is genius. Thank you. It's so smart. Well, in Krav Maga specifically, you know, we work on much on the physical aspect of training actual defenses against chokes and rape and bear hugs and all the things that you might encounter, being mugged on the street. So Krav Maga is very physical. The the women's workshop that I run, we we still work on the physical aspect because I'm teaching Krav Maga. And there's also this emotional aspect and the mental and the spiritual aspect of our beings. I love Krav because the physical aspect, I think, is the easiest to change. When we stand in a power pose. And regardless, I want to interject here, regardless of your body type. Regardless, yes. It doesn't matter your size or shape or anything, but regardless of your body type, you can access that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And H, you know, it's Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. So when... You know, there's there's research done. You stand in a power pose for two minutes. You you are generating power chemicals in in your body, and those chemicals influence our our thoughts and our emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So if we have these loops of I'm not, and most people don't think they're not worthy. I, they don't. They're not. 
some people are having the thoughts, I'm not worthy. Most, many people are not having those thoughts. They're running much deeper in the unconscious. The unworthiness is much deeper. And has different language around And it. different language. Like, I'm not it. good enough. I'm not yeah. smart. I'm not pretty. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. I had personally the, a very deep-rooted belief of like, I'm not even worthy to be on the planet kind of worthiness. Like, I don't deserve to be here. Which I'm like, where the hell did that come from? But, you know, I'm like, well, there it is. Like, that's, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I'm a burden on this. My human nature is a burden on this planet. And I was like, well, we've got to pull that road up, you know? (laughs) So how do we get to the place of, of worthiness? And I also teach dance. And it's like the, there is the physical aspect of moving one's body in a powerful way in a graceful way in dance breaks part of that cycle. And it's a really, it's, I think it's the easiest part of the cycle to break much easier than our mental thought loops. But from there, once we get in the physical, now we're starting to create the chemicals and hormones in our body that cause the elevated mood. Right. And if one is feeling less than powerful, And then for a month you go out and exercise is great. Fantastic. I'm not saying that, that that's not, not that you could do that, but you go to somewhere at a gym where you can hit things (laughs) Um, and feel the physical power of your body and work with other people and feel I can defend myself against that. Like the perfect one I love. And it's across the board every time when we do this thing called buck trap and roll, where if somebody is sitting on your hips and you're on the, on your back on the ground that you can buck that person off of you and you can roll and you'll be on top of them, you know, Mm -hmm. and across the board, every time there's like this big uprising of joy and laughter and exclamation that people were able to do it so easily because until we do something, you think it's impossible. And then you're like, Oh, this is so possible. Oh, after a weekend of a workshop, I now feel like, oh, I can hit things. Oh, I could do damage to that big, huge six, five, you know, instructor guy in there, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) that. wow, that was me that did that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is a big one that we also work on the workshop is not just, I am worthy of protection, but, um, I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who buck and rolled that person. Mm -hmm. No one helped me. That was my physical power. And owning that physical power is huge. It bleeds across in other areas of your life. So it is easier. Totally. Yeah. It is easier to stand up to the boss at work or the coworker who has been like, you know, a little too close to you for the last six months. Right? <laughs> um, making yeah, or the comments. uncle who or like hugs you too long mom, and yeah. says shit that's just like, come on now, yeah. you know? And yeah. this to me is yeah. like the beauty of like the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and everything. It's, it's really giving women power to like, this is not okay anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to be careful because there's also some, you know, there's some repercussions to this, but it's like, it's a process. Mm-hmm. The Me Too movement and our individual processes, like they're all working together. And how do we create like a, a larger societal change? You got to start with the, the one, yeah. the, you know, your one. Because the reality is, it's like, we're the only common denominator in our life, right? Mm-hmm. We're there every day and every night experiencing life. And we're the only one that's there all the time. So we start with ourselves and in little and in big ways, we start to impact those around us. I always wish I could like impact more. Like, you know, I always want to do more. And it's part of that is also just being happy with like where I am at, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I have a handful of stories of of people who have come back to me, young women who come back to me that said, I went to college and I had to use that. What Mm -hmm. you taught me. Mm -hmm. It was so nonchalant too. It was really funny. She's, I said, did you have to hit anybody? She goes, only once. <laughs> but, but um, you know, that I potentially saved a, a young person mm-hmm. from going to college and having somebody violate her. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you know, my life is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get those little stories here and there that I am creating a positive effect in the world. That's all I want is just yeah. to create a positive yeah. healing of, of, of women and humanity, you know, sometimes I wish I was, you know, like Gandhi or Martin Luther King or somebody like this, you know, but, but it's like, we are who we are. Mm-hmm. Like the, the quote we were saying before, better to be a first rate version of yourself than a second rate version of somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I'm owning. And that's part of my voice is owning my authentic self and what I bring here. That's so powerful. 
we have the power to shift our lives and our culture and our experiences the more we wake up to things that are misaligned and unjust it's like okay what are we going to do about it not only for ourselves but for the collective you know so yeah i like the phrase what are you committed to mm-hmm. uh, a teacher of mine asked me that once you know what are you committed to and i was like i realized for example in a relationship of oh my god i'm committed not to to not loving myself that's what that's what's showing up for me. Mm. This is like an adjunct of like, where's the voice? You know, it's like when you look at like, oh, this is what, and this job that I have with this boss who's demeaning or what have you, what am I committed to? And a lot of times it's committed to not loving ourselves. And when we look at creating social change, if your well is not full, it's it's going to be pretty ineffective to create a movement, right? If you're coming from a space of anger and outrage, that's good. It's a, it's a process. If it's misdirected to create more outrage, you know, if it's, then it's just, it's not effective, right? Mm -hmm. This is the beautiful thing about the Martin Luther Kings and the Gandhis and, um, Mother Teresa and, and Maya Angelou, Mm -hmm. you know, that for me, I look at those people and they were coming from a full well of worthiness and inner knowing of peace and angst, mm-hmm. you know, and like we got shit to change here. Yeah. And I think it's a it's an interesting as we're in this huge like just uh like to me boiling pot. It's a little chaotic. We're in a lot of chaos right now mm-hmm. and finding our own personal alignment in that chaos so that we can go f- in a much straighter line mm-hmm. through it mm-hmm. is is kind of part of the challenge I think for us collectively. I think everyone would say, you know, who's on a more spiritual path like, you know, we want love. You know, we want peace. Is there love and peace in your heart? Mm-hmm. Because if it's if there, if you can't find the part of you who is in love and peace, then how are we supposed to create that on the macro level? Not to say that anger and outrage also don't have their place. They do, but they need to be funneled and focused on the channel towards love and peace. Anyway, that's yeah. A, the anger is it can be a motivating energy. Absolutely, and it's a higher level energy than apathy and depression absolutely and it's also not sustainable to create change from that source (laughs) right yeah but it's also necessary for processing like you've got to work through it oh yeah next stage yeah you know there's some um abraham hicks yeah so abraham talks about the the merry-go-round or the, the carousel and um if you are in a state of hopelessness and the merry-go-round is going at a state at the speed of of joy. You can't get on that. You can't get on that merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. It's going way too fast. Mm-hmm. So you have to move through, right? Mm-hmm. From hopelessness maybe then into anger, you know? Mm-hmm. And then from anger into understanding and and it moves up the ladder mm-hmm. and it, it individually as well as culturally as a whole. It's not a realistic expectation that you can jump from outrage to to loving your enemy, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, the merry-go-round is going too fast. You have to go through the stages, and it's the same thing with finding your voice. Most of my voice work is the small everyday. Yes, I I actually kind of look forward to maybe to the day where I get to. I this I don't know. It's not that I want to be a hero. I just want to be part of this movement. It's like. We hear these horrible stories about, you know, the trans person in the grocery store getting backlash or the, the Latino or whoever, right? These, these racist, hatred-filled people, like, at lashing out. I want to be the one. That's where I've gotten... I'm like, I'm not scared to stand up for mm-hmm. what is right. And I kind of, in a way, I hope that that opportunity never came because life just got so beautiful and loving. But that's not where we're at. <laughs> Definitely and, not right now. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like the everyday little things. It's like you do a little something that's a little scary over here. You set that boundary with your boss, you know, it's, it's, or with a friend, maybe that's less scary, little one here, a little one there, bigger one there, a bigger one there. And then when the day comes where you do need to stand up for the fight, Mm -hmm. you're ready, you know, and that is where I feel like I am now. I look forward to the challenge. I look forward to the day where I get to say, hell no, this is not okay because not everybody is to the point where they can stand up yet. And it's important that we're practicing. Yeah. For and, ourselves and for them. Yeah, that I love 
it's a muscle. It's a it's, practice. It's a practice. There's this story. I saw it on the Oprah show many years ago, and it has always stuck with me. It's a conversation between Maya Angelou and Oprah, and Oprah was talking about how she was at a party at, at Dr. Angelou's house, and Dr. Angelou heard somebody that was about to make a derogatory joke. And Dr. Angelou said, those words are not welcome here. Grab your coat and there's the door. And she said this like across the room at a party. <laughs> and the whole place just went silent. Oprah asked Dr. Angelou, you know, like, how do you do that? You know, and she's just like, words are the most powerful thing we have. They stick to the floor and the furniture and the walls and the ceilings. And those words are not welcome here. And that you start small. It starts with what do you genuinely want to order, you know, and mm -hmm. at a restaurant. Right. Or, you know, you were mentioning earlier, like getting a massage, you know, okay. and like telling them genuinely to back off <laughs> or, you know, just start small. It's in this seemingly insignificant moments of day-to-day -day life that you build that muscle, you build the awareness mm -hmm. of that feels off. That's not right. How do I honor myself in this moment? And then you get to the point of being like, not in my house. There's the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So an interesting um, thing that I have done uh, with my dancing and with, uh, with life is how do we do that? So how do we, okay, I'm going to pretend to be Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to do in this situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put on that coat. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and pretend what would it be like if I was Maya Angelou and I heard that, right? Boom. I can do it. It's no problem. Our limitations are in our own minds, right? The fear of standing up. Yes, maybe you were beaten for speaking up when you were a kid or what have you. That's real. And now you're an adult, mm -hmm. right? And you are removed from that. That was a different time, a different place. So putting on a, a coat. So I put on, I have a, a big one for me is about being seen. It, it was really big because mm -hmm. I had this uh, I uncovered this moment of like, oh my God, if I'm seen, I'm not just in danger. I'm actually going to be physically harmed. So I know somebody who's really confident. She loves performing. She loves being on stage. She loves being in front of people. She, and I was like, okay, I got to go on stage. I'm going to pretend to be her. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I used her energy to, and I put it on like a coat mm -hmm. and you can take it back off again if you don't mm -hmm. like it, but it's like you try it on. Mm -hmm. And the more you try on that coat, that personality, the more the mask of your old personality can fall away. Mm -hmm. And that has been something that's really served me. And if you're into meditating, you can actually do a really cool exercise just where you think of that one, Maya Angelou in this case, mm -hmm. you know, and her energy and what she's like and really get into, and you can, you're making up some details, but what you think, like really get into that. Mm -hmm. And then imagine you and you bounce back and forth and then you go to my Angelou and then you go to you and you get faster and faster. And each time you really try to go totally into their energy and then totally into your energy and you go faster and faster, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until they actually merge as one. And it is very interesting. The brain does something and, and it will merge you with that. Cool. That person. Yeah, it's really cool. You can do it with emotions as well. Anything that has contradictory or difference. Um, and it will merge and it, and it actually aligns. The, the brain will go into like this oneness, like peace state. Uh, and I have done that before I had to get on stage. I don't like, I don't hold back on this one. It's not just my friend who's really confident. That, that one works too. I go for the big ones, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. the people that are really making great change or that I really admire. They can be my friends or somebody that we is more famous. I love that exercise and it can take five minutes before you got to go in and tell that boss, this isn't okay with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's great. I will try that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good one. I think what's something that's really special about the fusion dance, you know, cause I got to go try it. Yeah. You yeah. I, I came, came and I tried it and I was really moved by, it's such a sweet community and I was moved by the agreements around it, around when you ask someone to dance or if someone asks you to dance, you establish, okay, who's the lead and who's the follow. It's not assumed. And you ask like, 
do, are you comfortable with spinning and lifts and things like that? So it was just, it, it sets a tone of respect and transparency and also um, agency in a way that I hadn't experienced partner dance before, which was really, really empowering and also fun to play with. Because like there was one person who asked me to dance and I was like, do you want to be the leader of the follow? And he was like a tall cis male. <laughs> He's like, I'm the lead. <laughs> but it was just, it was such, it really changed the dynamic of how the group felt for me. Is that something that is across all the fusions or is it just a, yes. something that you intentionally created for the culture here in mission in the mission district? Um, so the dance is called mission fusion. Uh, and we, especially in the Bay area, very intentionally create that community, but it is, I think, um, throughout fusion dancing, it's something that we have worked very hard to create an atmosphere of fluidity that, and to take the gender out of dancing. Uh, we also have a role called switch, you know, so you people who do both roles and many people do both roles. So we, we, we intentionally created that and very much consent oriented, safe dance scene. Not to say that we don't still have issues. That's why we continually work to create that environment Mm -hmm. and also to be friendly, you know, and to be open while sharing this joy of dance with, with other people. Mm -hmm. It's a very intentional creation. Well, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the only one. I mean, well, I've, been, yeah. I've been around for a while, but it's right. a community-wide. It's a community-wide intention. Well, especially as we continue to evolve around, um, like the difference between gender roles and gender identity, and understanding there's multiple genders. So creating a, a welcoming and respectful space, like no space is ever safe, right? But yeah. safer spaces, and for people that don't fall within the binary, it's really important to develop practices like that. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's a great exercise for anybody around boundaries and around knowing oh, yourself. Yeah. So much. And yeah. it's um, an interesting thing that has happened that I've noticed within our dance community is that we have been so intentional about this consent and everything that the next step of that is really people setting the boundaries. I know how hard it is to, to set these boundaries. Part of the work at Krav Maga and part of the work, you know, I'm infiltrating to the dance world is you need to step up. Yes, it's great that we're calling people out. This behavior is not okay. But it does not let you off the hook for setting your boundaries. Mm-hmm. We cannot expect people who are in greater power or physically or financially or whatever, we cannot, as women, expect men to know what our boundaries are and to respect them all the time. That's an unfair expectation. We have to be there as well to speak up and say, hey, this is what is okay with me. And then if the boundary gets crossed, we have a very clear cut case, mm-hmm. right? You crossed a boundary, that's not okay. You cross it again, you're, you're out. Mm-hmm. You, you want to learn and grow? Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're, you, please stay. What a great lesson to learn, even though it's really uncomfortable and awkward yeah. through like speaking up and setting yeah. that boundary. I was a young woman once, too. <laughs> and, I, and I love going dancing. And, like, it is a process to learn how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And to do it with grace and respect as well. And it goes back mm-hmm. to the 100% responsibility thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I get a little bit, you know, like, I think sometimes <laughs> I have to handle it with care because not everybody else is operating from that point. Mm-hmm. It's just truly in a very objective way saying, how did I show up? Mm-hmm. Because I'm the only common denominator in my life, right? So if that happened to me on the dance floor here and it happened to me in the grocery store over there, okay, well, it's me, right? And that's hard. It's so much easier to blame society mm-hmm. or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the behavior was appropriate. And I think that's a really important thing to learn. When we take 100% responsibility and we stand up for ourselves, it doesn't say the other person, they're also 100% responsible and their behavior can be completely inappropriate and I can leave that situation feeling empowered because I know what I'm committed to. I know what I'm responsible for and that's me. I showed up in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then I leave every situation feeling empowered rather than feeling like a victim. And this is in one more big one that I love that I teach in the Krav Maga, the women's workshops. 
we have to give ourselves permission to make a scene, <laughs> you know, and as, as a community, like a global community in our, in our smaller communities and individually. Uh, and that, that was something that I constantly give myself permission to make the scene if I need to. Because if we don't make that decision ahead of time, when it comes down to it, it's going to be very hard to set the boundary on the dance floor or in a bigger way uh, with somebody else. It, you you got to practice. And, there's... and you have to know. You have to know. And th- if this happens, mm-hmm. I will say something. Yeah. And there's generations of conditioning to undo, <laughs> to oh, yeah. give yourself permission to do that. And even when I say give myself permission to make a scene, I feel the little flutters in my heart, you yeah. know? And I don't think that nervousness is, I feel it's that okay. Too. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. We can act in spite of the fear. You know, totally. we can act in spite of the nervousness and it's a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And we practice in the little ways. And before you know it, I went from crying in the bathroom at Krav Maga, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and before you know it, you're standing in front of the room. You know, it's been 14 years later. Mm-hmm. I am a completely different person. I don't even know this person who was walking around in fear and constant anxiety. I'm sure other people have felt these sensations. Like I, I was being violated. Like every time I shut my eyes, I was being violated. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even know who that person is anymore. That's amazing. Um, Good job. Yeah. And that is, mm-hmm. uh, it's so nice. And I want everybody to know, like if you, and I'm still struggling with things, you know, like I still got to deal with my, you know, like. Maybe I go and see my father. Maybe I don't. But, you know, it's like I'm handling it all with care and love for myself. Mm-hmm. I have more goals and wants and spiritually moving forward. And I love who I have become today. And that is being at peace. And we can all, we can all do it. Little Amen. by little. Little by little. Yes, yeah, yes. Little by little. Every time we give ourselves permission to be a little bigger Every time we speak up for ourselves, we're changing. We are literally changing the frequency. We're changing the chemicals that are running through our bodies and our heads and our, our minds. And we are changing the frequency of what we're giving off. And we're changing subtly the frequency of those around us. Now, the bigger you get, the, you know, the bigger the change. But it's a practice. And it's a practice of dropping away the baggage that we're carrying dropping away that part of myself that feels that I must act that way or that I am to blame for this or uh, this is how I have to be and show up in the world. Mm-hmm. That's not your authentic self. Those are the coats you put on. So we take them off and we put on something else. Yeah. It's as easy as changing your outfit. Mm-hmm. But I've heard so many horrific stories of people's histories. It's overwhelming. Like, you think the human psyche can't hold on to anymore, right? And yet... There are people that come out of those situations shining very brightly, you know, and healing and moving forward as bright lights in this world. And I had a a really pivotal moment in my own growth at a workshop. This day just like rocked my world and left me upside down, turned out wrong. You know, like I didn't even know where I was. After that day, I just went out and I sat outside by myself because I was like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm so raw. And I thought... Some people's stories are better than mine. Some people's stories are worse than mine. Some people get over it and some people don't. Who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. And that was the, the day that really changed the trajectory on my life. Mm-hmm. And it was just that question that sent me off on a new path. Two degrees different than where I was going. When I hear people speak about the, the horrors that have happened to them, uh, my heart bleeds it does not need to detract from my own hell of where I was. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, the, the loop that I kept playing and the story I kept reliving year after year after year that continued my own personal trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for people to understand that it's not a contest for who hurt, who got hurt worse. Right. It's not a suffering Olympics. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that, that our pain is real. Yeah. And that we can look to, to keep the, the perspective right. about what has happened and that we're continuing to cause our own suffering yeah. by holding on whatever yeah. it was. I have known some spectacular people that have lived through horrifying things and some of them get over it and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. So it's like, which one do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? Yeah. This decision. It's like, who do you want to be? Which one? Choose. What would you say has been one of the most challenging lessons 
to learn in your personal evolution? The worthiness. Mm-hmm. Worthiness to have a good life. You know, worthiness to be in a good relationship, which I'm still working on that one. You know, mm-hmm. worthiness of of being respected. Worthiness to receive. A book that I really love is um, called Worthy by Nancy Levin. It definitely shifted some things for me. A big one. Uh, one of the it's many many exercises in that book, and I was doing one of the exercises, and I heard my father's voice in my head going, "Who the hell do you think you are?" And I had never, I never hear my parents' voice in my head, and that one just popped in, and I was like, "Oh," and it wasn't even a big deal what he was talking about. It, you know, I didn't think it was. It was we're talking about getting my ears pierced. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it was. It didn't scar me, but it did. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was not who the hell do I think I am to stand up in front of those people or to uh, own this this place in my life, and I I it was running across the board everywhere. And I'm it's an exciting time because just like there's a lot of blooming happening in mm-hmm. our in our world, there's also a, a blooming happening inside of me of stepping in to my. This my is next... who the hell I think yeah, I am. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like just stepping yeah. into my next place in my life. Yeah. And you're bringing other people along with you, yeah. which is so beautiful. You know, when the tide rises, it rises all boats, right? Yeah. 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 Can you please share about something you're really proud of? Yeah, I love this question because <laughs> I like the idea of like, we need to own that, right? Mm-hmm. We need to own it. Yeah. I'm proud of me. <laughs> just like, that's mm-hmm. just that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm proud of the fact that, that I am learning to shine my light and not hide and not be scared of, of being out there. I love my women's work and helping other people shine their light. I think that if I look at the spectrum of my life, like that was the most unexpected thing that I have ever done in my life was become a teacher at Crown Macau San Francisco and develop these women's workshops. Mm-hmm. I'm going to own that I'm proud that I'm there mm-hmm. and know that I would love to be doing even more work and on a bigger platform, but it's important to be proud of where I came today because... And how far you've come. And how far I've come. Yeah. And I feel so blessed that Krav Maga came into my life. I feel blessed, this is part of like who I am, mm-hmm. that I have spent the time, effort, I pulled together the resources when I didn't think I had them to go and do workshops and to rewire my brain. And I didn't always have the resources. So yeah. Is there anything you're especially grateful for? Like, I love a gratitude practice because Brene Brown has studied it, and right, and she talks about how um, gratitude and joy are twins, and the more we practice yeah. gratitude, the more joy it brings into our lives and is and makes us present too. Mm-hmm. In this moment, I'm feeling gratitude towards nature and the earth, and uh, we were talking about frequencies before, you know, like the the earth is vibrating in like this really like deep resonant place that I feel like for me connecting with just brings me back to the source of who I am, the stardust, you know, and I'm so grateful with through all the treachery that we have done to this planet that the trees still grow. Yeah. The rain falls and the flowers bloom and I love flowers so much. Yeah. And just finding that joy, and nature is really something I'm very grateful for these days. Do you have a prayer or a wish for our country, the world, mm-hmm. or the planet? Mm-hmm. What's really coming to me is may we all be released from our pain of the past and find wisdom and, and use it as a stepping stone rather than a weight. And that we relieve ourselves of the pain that we're causing ourselves currently, that we're inflicting on ourselves now, and the pain, letting go of the pain that we're inflicting upon others, and forgiving ourselves for all of that. And at the same time, I very much wish for the people, for the perpetrators, the people who are doing the acts of violence, to let go of their pain of their past, mm-hmm. to let go of the pain they're inflicting on themselves now, mm-hmm. and to let go of the pain that they're inflicting on others. I just want to add gratitude for you and this project. Oh. <laughs> really, my divine like, pleasure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
you know, this has been a, a really powerful experience for me to hear my own voice. And that's, that's your goal. And it's, it be, it's happening. <laughs> and to be able to share and um, this project is, is influencing people and it is spreading the, you know, empowerment and light for people who are listening. And it's huge. Thank you for doing it. My pleasure. Thank you for participating yeah. and being willing to be seen and own your story and to own your agency in the story that you tell. Beautiful and inspiring. Thank you. Let's go kick ass. Yes! <laughs> go team! <laughs> the invitation and call to action from this episode is to ask yourself, whose energy do I want to try on? Whose energy do I want more of in my life? Where in my life have I been avoiding taking responsibility? And what might be possible if I had more influence and power to change this area of my life than I originally thought? Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Emily Webb. Go to kravmaga-sf.com to learn more about her upcoming women and teen self-defense programs. And please go to she'sher.com to keep in touch and learn of more opportunities to stay connected. Tune in to our next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.